Hello, everybody. My name is Mike, and this is the State of Mind podcast on Radio Regent Park. And today we have a special guest. Her name is Dr. Julia Sen. She is a registered clinical and counseling psychologist with a full-time private practice in Richmond Hill. Her practice includes seeing adults individually or as couples for depression, anxiety, grief, and loss. Her greatest passion lies in fertility counseling and parenting. Julia has recently published a parenting book called Too Tired to Parent, Take the Car, and that's C.A.R., which we'll uh, talk a lot about in this interview. And it's a step-by-step guide to becoming self-caring, self-aware, and self-reflective, C-A-R. Julia's long-term goal is to help parents heal from their own hurts in life, subtle or overt, so we can positively impact our children to become resilient, mindful, and contributing people in the world. She believes the path to healing and in turn great parenting begins with understanding that we matter and shifting from having a self-sacrificing mindset to practicing self-care and compassion. Julia is married with two teenage daughters and two amazing little dogs that she adores. So hi, Julia. Can you say hello? And maybe if I didn't say anything in there um, or add to that and tell people, I guess, why you're here and and what's going on. Yeah. Thank you, Mike, for having Mm -hmm. me. Uh, That's great. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm here because you very kindly invited me (laughs) to to come and and do this interview. Um, And uh, also because I just want to be able to reach out to all the parents and all the people in the world who who feel that they've been affected by um, the you know society and and through caregivers uh, and, and and how they are affecting their children, right? So to see if we can uh, make some changes in this generation. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm curious. Did you always know you were going to be a psychologist? How, no, how did that all a, that's happen? That's a good question. Yeah. Actually, no, I went into labor management relations and, uh, and sociology when I went into undergrad with no clue, really, <laughs> what I wanted to do. And uh, it was after I graduated that I realized I can't work in this industry. It's not my style. I just, it was, I went for one job interview and I was like, this is the wrong place to be. I'm like, oh, well, there goes the whole undergrad. <laughs> so I actually <laughs> explored. I did every. Uh, test under the sun, the LSAT, the GMAT. I didn't do the MCAT, but the GRE, I did everything. Maybe that'll tell me what I want to do, you know. And uh, ultimately, I ended up um, doing my GMAT, met a friend in the class. And in, wait, GMAT is what for is For MBA. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, this uh, this girl, she's out with me and we went for lunch and it was the first day we met. And then uh, at the end, she's like, my God, you should be a psychologist. I'm like, why? And she's like, well, you really helped me out today. I'm like, really? Like, you know, and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but you're a friend. That's what I do with friends. It's no problem. She's like, no, you don't know me, right? You know, you just met me. And then it made me think. I'm like, that's interesting. I, I didn't really think about it that way. So I started, mm-hmm. I talked to my dad, and uh, he got me into a summer job with somebody in the Addiction Research Foundation at the time, which is CAMH now. Wow. Um, and I did a summer position there, and I got to know cognitive behavior therapy and some of the research, and um, and I loved it. And so then I knew, okay, let's go back, do another undergrad in psychology, and then just go straight through. Wow. So, so you had to, <clears throat> is your dad a 
in the this He's, world? He was a pharmacologist at U of T. Okay. So he knew people in, in the area for sure. Is that like a researcher in pharmaceutics or what does that mean? So, exactly? yeah, he studies um, – he used to study how medicine affects us. Right? Wow. Like, well, you know, so uh, pharmacy is sort of the making of it and the pharmacology is yeah. how it works. Right? Wow. Yeah. And so did you I, – I don't actually know how it works – to become a clinical psychologist, do you have to do a master's as well? Yes. So well, you, yeah. How does? Yeah. So you can stop at a master's in other 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 um, provinces, um, and then get registered as a psychologist. Um, but here in Ontario, you have to do your master's and then your PhD, right. um, and then your whole registration process. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and then also, you actually had. Did you have to do your BA? You couldn't use your. No, I needed the psych courses. Did, yeah. yeah. So wow. I was able to do it in two years and pull in some of my other um, courses from the sociology uh, degree. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> which, which speaks yeah. to the the difficulty and the challenge of at 18 or 19 knowing exactly. what the hell you're going to do with your life and having to oh, balance that. For sure. Yeah. Like, I I'm in it doing my master's now, and the luckily because I did political science, yeah, yeah, that was the only other minor or major BA that they would accept ah, into the program outside great. of psychology or whatnot, right? Um, but yeah, had I not, and I didn't even start out in poli sci; I started out in urban planning. There we go. You know, yeah. yeah so <laughs> had I not stumbled my way into poli sci. You know, and what, for whatever reason, I would have probably either not gone back to school or had to go back and do a different PA. So for sure, yeah. Anybody out but there, you know, <laughs> that's you, a though, hard right? decision. This is the point. We do it late. It's okay. Whenever we do it, we do it. Yeah, right? for so sure. The passion. It's awesome. And what do you, I guess maybe as a parent or because your your eldest daughter is in her first year of university. Yes. yes so she is, yeah. <clears throat> how. I don't know if they have to decide in first year. I don't think they do, but how do you decide? I don't know. You're right in the middle mm -hmm. of it. So what were the decisions going on or the conversations around what to do and what that means for your future life and et cetera? For sure. Um, so for me, it was a bit different with Talina because she knew at a young age what she did have a passion for, which was architecture. And so we embraced that and really listened to her and helped her kind of create a path from eight years old onward um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> around that to make sure she liked it. And so we exposed her to a lot of things. But we really, and that's part of the parenting process, is really listening to what our kids tell us. Because they actually, I'm sure even I knew when I was little, I just wasn't really able to kind of articulate it and have yeah. my parents hear it that way because no one expects it at a young age, right? You know, but usually kids start to formulate around eight, you know, some understanding of what they're passionate about. And that might be something that sounds random to you, you know, like this ridiculous, you know, but, you know, we just want, want to start hearing what they're doing. So anyway, with Talina, we did hear and we sort of worked with her towards architecture. But then when it came down to it, yeah, it was challenging. We had to look at all the different programs, the costs, the, you know, the uh, best route to getting her to, to be practicing architecture. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that, you know, she ended up in architectural engineering at Waterloo, which is a new program. And uh, she loves it, right? And she's like, you know what? I... 
I I think that I just want to have a firm and I'm going to work with an architect and we're cool, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, so, yeah, so she's she's uh, really happy with that. So it, it still strayed from what we thought. We thought she was going to go traditionally into architecture, right. but it's strayed, but it's a great fit. And so you, as long as you're adaptive and sort of open to shifting and changing, it can, it can really, you know, work. What were the... How did you know that that's what she wanted to do? Was she into Lego or building things or how? Like what might be helpful for other parents or even I'm thinking when I notice what my kids are into? For sure. How do you notice those signs? Yeah, they're going to show some more interest in one kind of exactly. She wasn't a big Lego person, ironically, but um, she (laughs) she did like to kind of draw and – she created like a model home for one of our friends okay, and, you yeah, know, yeah, on yeah. cardboard and painted it. And I'm like, wow, that's like elaborate, you know. So <laughs> okay, that's cool. when, right, right. So when they kind of push the limits or they do things like super efficiently. Another right. friend of mine, her son does Lego, you know, like uh-huh. high end Lego at a very young age, you know, right. and he sits with the instructions on his own, which is crazy. Right? Yeah. Like he was so young. So it, it's, it's like, OK, something's there. Right. That's more than the average kid just playing Lego, you know. So that one for him uh, is something to kind of look at. Like, is it engineering? Is it, you know, design? Right. right. right? So. Cool. Yeah. No, that's helpful. Okay. That was a bit of a sidetrack. So you uh, went back to university, decided to become a psychologist, and that's basically what's led you here. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and... Through that path, I guess, because um, I, I think in here, in your book, it says you had your for, your first kid while doing your PhD, right? Yeah, both during, yeah. Both, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so that, like, is that common? It's pretty common, I think. I, I think know fair people of, that are. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, had I done my first undergrad in psychology, right. I probably would have been done or almost done by the time I had my kids. But because I started late, I had to. So did you get, <laughs> so. yeah, did you get like an extension? Like, how did you do that? Yeah, I took two full mat leaves. Uh-huh. Um, and then I didn't care how long it was going to yeah, take yeah. me. So right, right. The, whole, the whole program took me 10 years, which mm-hmm. is longer, obviously, than normal. Two of them are mat years and then eight years. We have internships, of course, and yeah. then the comps and then the courses. So there's a lot going on. So the average person probably finishes in six or seven um, for the PhD and yeah. then in, in the clinical programs. And then the and then I took the extra year plus the two mat leaves. So I took a while. Right. But, but pretty standard in terms of yeah, what exactly. your life situation was. Exactly. Wow. Seven years. It can. I mean, yeah, so, right, I did but, know one guy who rushed through it in five. So <laughs> I don't right. know how he did that, but yeah. <laughs> Holy so, smokes. Yeah. That's in, wow, amazing. And primarily, have you worked primarily with the same population of people, like same clients? So has that changed a bit or? Yeah. I mean, when I was starting out, I was more like at CAMH, I did, I did work with bipolar and schizophrenia, but. From there, I moved on into into the depression anxiety piece during my PhD. Um, I worked on a depression study, so I was a therapist in that. And and then when I finished and I was licensing, I actually got into the fertility counseling, which of course incorporates depression, anxiety, grief, loss, trauma, all of that. So um, so I, I did supervision in fertility. I did some coursework in fertility counseling, and then that became the, my primary practice. And 
from there kind of you sort of naturally turned into parenting as well, yeah. um, which is great. Uh, so, so that's how the parenting piece came about in terms of my practice, but in terms of my own passion, it was always there. And, you know, I think I watched myself change my own parenting over the course of years. So, yeah. so that's kind of also where that came from. Did your education and expertise in this world help, do you think, your, I don't know, desire or ability to change your parenting or notice things and then act on them? So kinda? I think I think doing the like the degree allowed me to start thinking even more outside the box. And because of that, I always I'm the kind of person that just questions things. So when I would notice my kids reacting a certain way, I would I would sort of stop and go, huh, like that wasn't how I expected it to go or what's going on here. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, or you looked at myself going, why am I turning into devil mom? This is not good, right? You know, uh, that kind of thing. So I feel like the, the education, it gets you to think outside the box. So that was probably contributing right. to how I was looking at my parenting um, in terms of the content. I mean, I don't think the content of what I did in school is necessarily relevant to how I'm working with parents, right. okay. but yeah. um, I think the whole process was helpful. Yeah. yeah. And to sidetrack again, because my, from my own interest, um, when you, so you said you were working with, uh, with people with schizophrenia or bi living with bipolar. Mm-hmm. Was that in an inpatient unit, or yes. what? And was yes. that during your masters or during your? No, it was. PhD? It was. Uh, when was it? it? Was really was, early on. <laughs> yeah, was, I feel like it was between my undergrad and getting into the masters. Wow. Yeah. Again, Dad, help me. Yeah, <laughs> get, sure, help sure, me get sure. That job, um, and uh, it was really helpful. And yeah. that was yeah. in an inpatient unit, or it was at CAMH. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And at the was it the Clark or it was, no? at, it was the Clark? It was at yes, the Clark? Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um. I'm so because fa- I, I mean, my brother lives with schizophrenia, and I have mm. other friends that live with schizophrenia yeah. too. And I'm so, I mean, it's such a incredibly difficult illness to Absolutely. help people with. Absolutely, um, I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it was a short time in your career, but mm-hmm. you're familiar with it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um. Are you aware of any maybe modern things that are happening to help people in that regard? Or I'm curious, did your dad do any research on the pharmacology behind that stuff? Or he actually did. You know? Yeah, he did. There, there's a book that he worked on and and uh, edited. I don't know a lot about sure. it. I have to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um. I do know he did the work on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. Because. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it took my brother. I I got here. Maybe here's a good question. Where is the, and this applies to everybody, I think, in different situations, the balance between the individual coming to terms with what's happened to them? Because mm-hmm. I think I think that was incredibly hard for my brother mm-hmm. and many people, whether you live with schizophrenia or another health sure. issue, mm-hmm. um, versus sort of the inadequate or... Healthcare challenges of helping people in that situation. So, because mm-hmm. there's both, right? There's what can the system do to help someone mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. And then also that person 
coming to terms with what's going on. I don't know. Is that Absolutely. a clear question, kind of? like? I know from my side of things, yeah. I'm definitely the one who helps the people come to terms with or, or work on how to best work with, with what, what's going on in their lives, right? So um, I'm not the big, huge advocate person out there. I think that's important, and, yeah. and it, it, that's just not my strength. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm much more about one-on-one connectedness and, and, and really helping people understand and heal and, and accept and, and, again, be very compassionate with themselves um, through the process. So, What can yeah. you speak to maybe one a, a particular difficulty in that, doing that? Or I don't even know. I don't know if my people living with schizophrenia or bipolar, I don't know as much about. I know it can be similar in some some ways. But it doesn't seem like they get any of that from the system, so to speak. It, it's the all sort of the, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all really just symptom management and yeah, get them out the door for the next person to fill the bed, kind of thing. But have you ever seen? I don't know, or been around somebody with schizophrenia in a rough shape, mm-hmm. where they were benefited greatly from like a compassionate approach or mm-hmm, I don't know something I had like that. somebody in my practice early on actually before I was doing fertility and all of that um, who had come in with schizophrenia and you know it was a debate whether that I was the right person for sure. for him you know and would I really be able to meet his needs and, and everything but you know we did probably like 20 sessions or something wow. and, and it really was like he felt very heard and seen which he didn't he wasn't used to you know and so it did improve the family dynamics which is why he was referred right, in right, because yeah. it, they just didn't know how to work together i'm not a family therapist but um i did see the parents once just to get an idea of what was happening and vice versa like so so we were able to have some progress i mean he was still managed obviously by the clinical team yeah, yeah, and everything yeah. but uh, but we did do that so i do believe compassion for anyone mm-hmm. is is absolutely critical because at the end of the day we're human that's, that's yeah. the bottom yeah, line yeah, yeah. and humans uh you know we all need compassion so and was that person uh they had did they have insight into their the way the illness i don't know if that's even the way their symptoms influence mm-hmm. their behavior or whatever not as much um you know i did try to help him understand some right. of that you know but i think it was really much more about finally him being heard so that the changes could start to happen because he he became less symptomatic he did become a little less symptomatic in terms of those outward behaviors that were impacting others in negative ways right Right. Um, so they were still happening, just just slightly less, because he felt validated, and it sort of soothed his system. Mm-hmm. And from there, he was able to to regulate a bit better. Yeah, that's yeah. such a nice word, soothe the system. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask a question about that, but I don't know how to formulate it. Uh, maybe if. In the, in the same way, does it apply to a kid having a meltdown or something? Because there's some totally. points in your book, yeah. you know, talking about the meltdowns, and often we, it seems our default approach is to, uh, like, fix or mm. I don't know, kind of operationalize the right. meltdown. It's like, well, if you just stop and if you didn't do this or you didn't That's do right. that or whatever. Exactly. Um, I'll buy you an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, right. You know, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So what's the 
how does the sort of soothe the system idea help when people are for sure. Yeah. So I'll give you the idealized version first. Okay. Um, okay. So in an ideal world, we will be extremely present. We'll be able to step into their shoes and understand what they're having the meltdown about, whether it is actually not getting an ice cream, whether it's, you know, being in, I remember my daughter being in a grocery store, you know, at three years old, and she just needed that chocolate bar. You know, of course, they're all right there at the cash, you know. Yeah, of course, <laughs> They yeah. make it hard for us. Torture. Um, and, and she had to, and, you know, she was on the floor and completely losing it. And and uh, my, my first approach was, of course, the usual, try and grab her, and she's, like, flimsy, and uh, there was no chance of picking this kid up, <laughs> you know. Um, and then uh, ultimately I just got down on the floor with her. I'm like, hun. Like, you know, I I really get it. Like, you're dying for the chocolate bar. I just can't get this for you right now. You know, uh, we're, we we need to get moving, right? You know, and mm-hmm. we can look into when we can get a chocolate bar another time. But right now, I can't do it. And she she just somehow switched, right? You know, and it was just enough to know that I get that she was dying for the chocolate bar. and And that was enough to make her go... And become reasonable, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> um, so it really, so that's that's the soothing is really, hey, I'm here with you, but I did it in a non. I, I was trust me, I was very irritable to start. <laughs> I was full on, you know, like, are you kidding me? You're embarrassing me. This is horrible, and I had all of that going on inside of me, and I'm like, this isn't working. I'm not getting her anywhere because I physically couldn't pick her up, right? So, so you don't have to become that limp thing, or like you just can't do it. So I'm like, okay, this can't, this is not working. And so I, I had to change. And so I slowed myself down. I realized like, I had to do some breathing. I, and, mm-hmm. and then I shifted gears because this was happening anyways. And then it, and it, so to speak, worked, right? You mm-hmm. know, um, and it was enough to, to be able to kind of get her out. She was still sulky and she was still not thrilled, but she was not so extreme. So that was the soothing and, her, and allowed yeah. the regulation. Right? And, yeah, and... Those situations are happening billions of times a day across the of world, course. obviously, right? And exactly. And all the time in the schools with teachers and students, and that's tricky because they have you know twenty some odd right. kids to deal with. But um, I think that might be a good segue actually into the first thing from your book that I wanted to read, um, and maybe is a good example of the differences maybe between maybe a parent or individual who's open to exploring how things could be different. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents, one of my teachers recently has been describing a scenario where she was in a Costco mm-hmm. and probably a similar scenario you know a right. kid was misbehaving and i think all parents out there were aware that bringing our kids to the supermarket isn't right. ideal <laughs> right but sometimes you don't have a choice you know so it's it. so let's get the silly obvious judgments out of the way mm-hmm. so yes when for anyone who doesn't have a kid who's observing other people fight yeah. with their kids in any big store have a little patience for them because it's not fun and they don't want to be there either so that's right yeah exactly. okay so uh she's she just tells us the story of a kid uh a dad having a hard time with his son or something and the dad just 
you know, starts laying into him like, mm-hmm. you're a bad boy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're being bad. And he really laid into him. Yeah. And she was telling us the story in a, in, to help elaborate. We were talking about shame. Yes. And, and how that gets exactly. internalized as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and she could just, you know, she was like, I just wanted to break down, uh, and, in empathy for the kid because yes. you could see he was like I'm not bad that's you know right. like he was yeah. like no yeah. and that's the process of internalizing shame or, exactly. or something like that um, and chances are and again I'm making a judgment but that parent may never question his behavior in that situation for sure yeah yeah and so yeah. it's so it's so interesting how there's some people who will reflect and some people who won't mm-hmm. And I guess it just is the way it is. But again, <laughs> to get back to the segue into your book, uh, I think this part speaks to it well. Is uh, So if you are reading this book, I'm guessing you are the person who is willing to challenge the status quo. You are the person who seeks the answers to making the necessary changes to help the next generation become unstoppable, generous, inspirational, curious, empathetic, resilient and loving adults. So I, we did talk about it a little bit earlier, but is there a best way forward in terms of just working with the people that are willing to question themselves and their behavior? Mm-hmm. And then hopefully that, you know, manifests into more people mm-hmm. opening that door. Or do you see Maybe it's both, like the awareness campaigns or the. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier. Something like, you know, your lane, so to speak, is the individual counseling and That's et cetera. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really asking a specific question, but how do you? So I think if you. Yeah. So when I first started the book, and yeah. you know, when you get into writing a book, people talk about well, how are you going to market it and all that, and. The big thing is who's your perfect audience? Who's your ideal audience? Who are they? Be specific as possible. And I kept going, I don't want to be specific. Right. I want to get every parent, you know, and they're like, it doesn't work like that. I'm like, yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I'm slowly starting to give in, you know, yes. um, to, to recognize <laughs> that if you can't actually get the ones who are interested in being the game changers, then hopefully over the next generation, the next, like it'll start to spread. Right. Right. You know, but in my ideal world, yeah, I would go for everybody. Right. <laughs> so, oh, I think I yeah. have a similar issue. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Okay. So here, this next point speaks to that first point really nicely, I think. Um, I don't know. It's so hard to know where to start because, you know, all of it is relevant. Um, okay. So, just to get to the point, be practical here. Okay. So you say, okay, <clears throat> I guess I should say quote uh, from the book. Okay. So do me a favor and ask yourself these questions. Do you have a real relationship with your child? You know, one where you get each other. Do your kids actually respect you or are they just obeying to make sure you don't have a meltdown? <laughs> This is awesome. Uh, Do they feel like you are really interested in them and in who they are? Do they trust themselves? Excuse me. Or are they overly dependent on you? Uh, And then sort of in the next paragraph, you say, um, 
If you can honestly say your children love and respect you and your methods, and that they also feel they're confident and awesome human beings, that's great. <laughs> but I want you to risk considering the idea that they may not feel truly connected with you or themselves. Maybe they don't feel open to state their opinions or use their voices. Maybe they just tolerate your methods, but inside they wish it was different. I think I'll stop there. Mm -hmm. um, that's a tough one for people to mm -hmm. open up to, I guess. But Absolutely. if they do, it becomes incredible opportunity, right? And that's it. And that's why I wrote it. I mean, I, I totally appreciate there's a lot of the things that I write that people are going to be like, I, I don't even know how to start, right? right? You know, yeah. and and for sure. Uh, but sometimes starting is just by reading that again and again right, and going, what does right, this really right, mean? Right, right, you yeah. know, and and if there's any kind of intuitive part of you that goes, maybe, maybe there's something there, right? You know, then just allow that light to start kind of growing by reading and reading and reading that again and again and again until you kind of go, wow, maybe there is that. Or be even more bold and depending on the age of the child, ask them. Like, I need to be honest with you. Like, I'm not sure. Like, I, you, you seem to be like so good and you... You really listen and you, you know, you're, you're doing all the right things as far as I'm concerned. But do you really feel like I'm listening to you, like that you're getting what you need? Like, would you want to be doing X, Y, or Z, you know, or is this because you want, you think that that's what I want for you? And just putting it out there, right? I've done that with my kids several times. I'm like, I, I don't know. Am I doing right by you or mm -hmm. am I doing right by me? You know? Yeah, yeah. Is um, there an age where, <clears throat> excuse me, they like can grasp that or do they always have some sort of intuition to what you're asking them like how yeah, would you I think yeah i mean obviously not uh, like a two or sure, three year old right. but yeah but from i would say eight onward uh, there's going to be some chance of getting into yeah. their intuitive going well if i'm really allowed to say the answer then you know uh, uh -huh. maybe but yeah no it's all cool but you know maybe there's this like yeah. so so you're just opening the door right. to a genuine like honest conversation which it's so critical for a good relationship. Yeah, it really is. Right? And then I guess it also can, I know sometimes you plant the seed in their head or mm -hmm. you ask that question, they may not answer right away. But, but it's then exactly. It's the, then they start to think, oh, maybe there is, right? Exactly. Or if something comes up, they would say, hey, this is, that's right. you're not respecting me. That's right. This is one of those moments. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's so good. So I think I actually, since we're on this topic, I don't know where it is, but I wanted to jump ahead because it speaks to it so nicely is, ah, here we go. Okay. So this is also from the book. Quote, think about, uh, so the, the section is about parents reflecting on their past mm. parenting or the way they were parented or just, you know, their own internal life experiences. Because um, I think it relates to the first part about being open uh, to reflecting on that. So think about how these answers may have impacted the way you are wired. Uh, write any thoughts down in your journal or notebook. It is helpful to ask yourself whether there are unresolved experiences from the past that may be blocking your ability to move forward with ease. If so, consider whether you need to seek support from a therapist to help you with the process. So I guess that's kind of like a deeper... Mm -hmm. more sincere, or I don't know, not more sincere, more 
I guess, deeper question to the、mm-hmm. previous one, like reflecting Am I actually allowing my kid to be who they are? That's right. Not who I want them to be, so to speak,、um, which is also a tricky one.、Uh, and then, yeah, the next thing is okay, if I'm not, or if I'm acting in a way I don't want to act sometimes,、mm-hmm. how does this thing about my own unresolved issues impact that? That's right. So maybe you could speak to. How you've seen that work in people's lives, or how they've come to terms with that, maybe, and、For、what、sure. they've done. Absolutely. So, in the book, I structured it so that there's some exercises in every section, pretty simple exercises to implement. But what I find is there's some people who come back going, Yeah, they seem easy, but somehow I'm not doing them. Or I'm just not getting around to doing them.、Right. Or, yeah, I did them for a week. Or, you know,、um, and they were really helpful. But then I don't know what happened. I just stopped, right? You know, so, so there's, there's things going on there that, whether you want to call it sabotage, whether you want to call it like something's happening internally that's not allowing you to, to go through the steps you need to to make the changes, right? So、mm-hmm. in those situations, we usually do a bit more of a deeper dive to say, yeah, what is blocking us, right? What is. Creating this, this,、uh, this sabotage really is the right word, yeah, you know,、yeah. um, uh, of, of our ability to make growth and change, right? And so when you approach it with compassion, with understanding that, you know what? Life threw us a lot of things when we were little, you know, whether it was our parents, other caregivers, teachers, coaches, you know, I mean,、mm-hmm. you hear it all, right? <laughs> like it, it's, it's, it's any adult basically who had an impact on you. Sometimes it's friends who were just, you know, mean for their own reasons, but I, I don't really see kids as mean. So <laughs> a,、yeah. they're mean to each other for sure. But I think that again, what's going on at home or, or in their lives that's, that's contributing to that. But I think that the, the key is to know that we were kids. And stuff happened to us, right? Traumatic experiences, one time, several times. There's so many different things that impact us that can lead us to, to get scared and say, yeah, this looks good, but no, I don't want to do it, right? You know,、mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that, that's, you know, I, I like things how they are. I'm comfortable, right? Like, it, it's okay. The kid's going to adapt to me. It's okay. Right.、Uh, because my way is working. It, it's fine, right? You know, And the reality is that sure, some kids do adapt to us when we stay sort of rigid around that, going, no, I'm not going out of my comfort zone. This is what I believe is the right way to be. It's worked for me so far. I made it work, right? You know,、yeah. um, and so then they need their kid to follow suit, right? And some do, just like you did, right? <laughs> so, you know,、um, but others don't. And the ones who don't, Are often the ones that are tantruming and, and、mm-hmm. highly dysregulated and all of that because they're not falling in line, right? So, so I think it's important to, to, again, with compassion for ourselves, know that, look, we can keep hiding behind, you know, the hurts and all of that and, and trying to save ourselves from seeing it all. But are we actually doing one, ourselves a service and two, our children a service,、yeah. right? And, and that's where I think going into the healing process with someone, it could be a trusted friend who really gets it, you know, but the non judgment needs to be there. You know, you have to feel so safe to be able to say, maybe there's something stuck here. Maybe,、yeah. you know, I need to change this or maybe I don't get why I'm like this, right? You know, and, but it has to be in a safe space. So,、yeah. you know, so as much as the book, I would love for you to be able to just go and implement every exercise and everything else.、Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just can't. Like, it's just not going to work and we need that connection. So, 
all I ask is that you guys risk going and finding somebody to connect with to be able to do that. You yeah. know, um, yeah. for yeah, yeah, and that's a I think the car analogy is really good too about. I think there's somewhere in here where you talk about, you know, if your car is running out of gas, it doesn't go anywhere. So, you know, and all the maintenance involved in taking care of a car and all those things, I think some people seem to see things more clearly through analogies like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and for sure, or you see both and they help, they reinforce each other. Um, But that's a big part of. Maybe the willingness to look inside or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like the more you're not rushing around and busying yourself with the sort of daily chores of life, you may be more willing to open up or something. Or That's right. Or there's more space for the awareness to pop up or something like that. Exactly. And honestly, the cover of the book is a mountain. Yeah. But it's actually a metaphor for the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Huh. Um, because it's just the same shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's so <laughs> you know? cool. Yeah. Um, point being, if you stay at the bottom and you're, you know, I have the people walking and yeah. sweating and you know struggling, uh, then you'll you'll get those basic needs met. Needs met. That's a given, right? You know, right. the shelter, not a given, but most of us get mm-hmm, the food, mm-hmm. the shelter, all of that stuff done. Um, even then, struggling because we're rushing around and trying right. to do what we think is right to get that done. But then what about the rest, right? Like I'm somebody that wants to be able to get the kids to the top, right? You know, which is self-actualized, which is being that contributing member of society, doing all the great things, being true to themselves, having fun, you know, all of that. And and if we're blocked, we actually get stuck somewhere near the bottom or the middle, you know, and it's fine. And I think you can get by and you can get through life that way, but – if you're okay with that, then I guess I—I I, I mean that's okay, right? You know, yeah. uh, it's just uh, <laughs> I ask, are you really okay with it? Is, yeah. is what I sort of just want to ask, right? You know, I'm curious because um, I'm you know just read through God knows how many different schools of thought or theories of practice mm-hmm. and et cetera in my school. I guess there's, and I—I I don't know. If, I probably don't understand it as thoroughly as I may one day, but. There's the, you know, the solution-focused approaches and the, I don't know if that totally lines with positive psychology, but there seems to be a large or a group of theories or practices that seem to either not want to dig into the hurts of the past Mm. or address the darkness or Mm -hmm. the shadow. Um but it, to me, it just seems so impractical to just not mm-hmm. address the darkness. I guess I don't know. Am I maybe I'm misperceiving the positive psychology approach? But I and I I respect sort of the because we are inherently tilted to notice negative things. Mm-hmm. I do respect sort of the push to like, well, mm-hmm. let's reframe this in a more positive way, but. I think one of my teachers said something amazing. It was like sometimes they call solution-focused therapy something like you don't want to – oh, God, I don't can't remember what it was. It was such a good analogy of like you can't just shove positivity mm-hmm. up people's ass That's basically. Right. Something sure. like that. Yeah. So I'm curious, yeah, like 
So I, I think. Am there's... I understanding this the positive psychology approach of like not acknowledging the darkness, or am I missing something there? So probably, and then, if you talk yeah. to a, a you know highly trained positive psychologist, they're going to say no, we do somehow okay. or another. I'm guessing, yeah. but uh, I'm a little more on your side of this, um, where especially with fertility counseling, you know. Right. You can't just go, you know, it's all going to be okay, right? You know, and you certainly <laughs> right, can't say, right. just look at the the bright side. It, it's a hellish journey, right? Right. It's a traumatic journey. Yeah. It's happening right now and it's chronic, right? You know, and you, you can't. Now, do I have a gratitude practice for my fertility clients? A hundred percent. Right. Right. Um, but we have to acknowledge the pain. We have to acknowledge that piece. I think that positive psychology, solution focus therapy, everybody has a time and a place for it. Mm-hmm. So I think that I probably do some solution-focused therapy after. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) You know, um, but – and I was trained in in cognitive behavior therapy. I did some solution-focused therapy. And to be honest, when I was younger and starting out, it was really nice because it was very manualized. And it kind of like worked with my cognitive brain and Mm -hmm. it was was good. But as I've grown as a human being and started integrating and looking at emotion-focused therapies and other, you know, aspects of that – I've integrated, and to me, yeah, I think I use a little bit of everything, but at the right time. Right. Right, and that depends on where the person's at. So I do have people who come in going, I'm really kind of good. I just need a couple strategies, like we're done in three sessions, you know? Yeah. And they're really happy, right? They're good to go. They're like, right. I just, oh, yeah, that's all I needed. I was just getting stuck there, and they're good to go. So solution focus, positive cycle, fantastic, right? You know? But again, if I start throwing that at my fertility clients, I would never right, see them right, again. Yeah. Right. Which and then that's good if they left because it's yeah, not right, the right, right fit, you right. know. So so that's something I think that's where we have to look at how. So they all have their yeah, their merit. Right. Um. But we want to be able to use them at the right time. That's great. Um. Yeah, that's really helpful to. Well, one for me personally as a reminder, just there is never necess- You know, there's never one solution to That's every right. situation kind of thing and exactly. it's sometimes i think i get stuck in thinking this should just work or like mm-hmm. i shouldn't be experiencing this or whatever but right no it just is happening and there is a way to address it but mm-hmm. and then having more tools to address it i guess is ideal for sure and and the word i think i don't can't remember if you told me this or not is that the integration or the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like being able to use the different modalities or whatever yeah. uh, for the situation. Mm-hmm. Is that a new, I don't even know what to say, field of study? Or is it just kind of an acknowledgement of as we develop in our skills, we integrate them or something like that? Like in yeah, a clinical so all side? My or? colleagues, all my, fa- my friends, you know, um, yeah. we all integrate now. Like right. it's just it's just a given. It's just it's just how all of us were trained in a certain area, yeah. so very different areas. Some were psychodynamics, some were emotion focused therapy, some were cognitive. Like we we all come from different areas, yeah. but when we consult with each other, we kind of all bring it together, you know, and we right. we take a little bit from each. Um, I think that there is a I can't remember what the conference is called, but there is an integrative psychology conference. Oh, so cool. so it is also being studied, um, right. but I don't know a lot about it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's get to uh, – oh, yeah, this I wanted to ask you about. Um, let's all read quote from the book. If we become frazzled at their reactions, our kids, um, they become more confused and upset. And if we give in 
because we just can't take it anymore, then we risk creating entitlement. And I think my question was, in situations where we either do give in because we just can't take it anymore uh, or we overreact and do something we're not proud of, um, I think I gave the example of when I catch myself behaving in a way that whether I gave in or I overreacted, mm-hmm. if I think it's reasonable or if I'm in a – if my – if I have enough fuel in the tank mm-hmm. <laughs> to acknowledge that, then I'll say, I'm sorry for how I handled that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make your behavior okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know you said you couldn't watch a show, but I'm going to let you watch a show mm-hmm. because I didn't like how I handled that. And also your behavior is not okay, et cetera. Um, but I think lots of people get caught up in, I said it's this way, so it's I'm going to stick to that because if I change my mind, then I'm going to be a weak parent and then you're just going to take advantage of me or something mm-hmm. like that. Absolutely. So how does yeah, – how do you see that? Yeah. So, that so many people feel like that. Like, I can't give in now. Like, and, and they will say, oh, shoot. You know, like <laughs> I really, uh, you know, uh, did not do that one well. They know it. But they're like, now I can't. I can't be vulnerable like that. I can't show that because exactly I'm going to be powerless. They're going to walk all over me, uh, you know. And and the reality is, if you actually own it and come back to them and are genuine, and not, I don't mean you come back groveling, oh my God, I'm so sorry, what did I <laughs> right, do? Right. Like, that is not what I'm saying <laughs> at all, right? You know, it's really more being really fair, clear, open, going, hey, you know what, come over here, Let's, could we just talk for one second? Like, you know, earlier, 20 minutes ago when I said this, reality is that wasn't helpful. Right. Uh, I wasn't thrilled that you're watching TV for the last three hours, you know, um, but uh, the way I was just I just pulled it from you in the middle. That wasn't OK. Right. You know, and then come up with an alternative to say, OK, let's work together here to figure this out because that can happen. Um, but there's I mean, a more concrete example would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but the idea here is when you own it, kids actually they love it, not because they can walk all over you, yeah. but because they're like, oh. You could make mistakes too. That's good. And we want to role model non-perfection, right, to our children because perfectionism does not help us in life, you know. And I'm not talking about being driven. I'm talking about being perfect, right? It's it's actually very unhelpful. So as you're showing that, hey, I make mistakes. I can own it. I can say sorry. I can come to you. You're role modeling to your kids. That's totally good. You know, Mm -hmm. you're a good human being and all is well, you know, even when we say sorry. Right. So the children appreciate it. They also feel like, wow, you get me. You're seeing me. You're you're respecting me by saying sorry, realizing that it wasn't fair. Because you know what I was doing this whole time when you said that? I was like, you're, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and really just building resentment and fuming inside and planning your, you know, <laughs> your totally, demise. Totally, right? totally. So, well, so, yeah. Which is another thing. And I don't, I'm not sure. I think a lot of parents either aren't aware they're having those thoughts mm-hmm. or they're too scared to admit they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mm-hmm. maybe I'm being judgmental, but is it safe to some extent to say most people have thoughts along that lines of yeah, I think so. my stupid little kid, I just want to. Totally. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
and uh, yeah, yeah, and as much as kids can be difficult, right? yeah, <laughs> extremely totally. difficult yeah. without without question. Yeah. Um, it is. I like to give kids the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, what could be going on for this kid that they're so rigid right now that they just can't? They're not able to listen. That they're being so difficult, right? Um, and see what's happened. Is it a long day at school? Did right. something happen? Was there like an interaction that's just made them become so upset, but they're not talking about it? You know, um, there could be something happening rather than them just being bad. Right. Right. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes, but sometimes in, in today's world, it could be an addictive response. So meaning they're, they're actually stuck in an addiction, like with their device or something else. So, Rather than go and rip the device away, right. again, with, hey, you know what? I know this is really, really hard, but can we figure this out? Because you've been on this thing for hours and hours. Now, I took a risk with my daughter um, when she was 12 or 11. And, you know, at the time she just got the iPad. It was new and all that stuff. And I bought it. You know, I'll mm-hmm. admit, like, <laughs> I yeah. got it for yeah. her, right? You yeah. know, um, and I did say, you know, try not to use it too much, but I, I wasn't really specific, right? You know, um, this particular daughter is a bit more regulated than my other one. So I could risk it with mm-hmm. this one, I think, mm-hmm. more. But she, she still got addicted, right? And I watched her and I'm like, hon, like, you're watching a lot on your iPad, like constantly. It was Netflix, right? You know? And, and, uh, she's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm like, okay, I think that you need to, you know, cool it, right? Because it's a lot. And she's like, hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah, but I'm getting my homework done. It's all good and it's fine. And, you know, I'm like, okay, like, I think you're going to get irritable, right? And soon, you know, we're, we're going to be yelling at each other because you're going to be irritable and then I'm going to be irritable. <laughs> So, so she, I'm like, but you can watch it, yeah. you know, and so she did and she watched it for two days. Okay. I kid you not, Mike, like it was two days and I'm like, oh and my And yeah, God, how are you right? not, it takes a lot of patience to not. It did. Yeah. Yes. A lot. I yeah. was like, oh boy, like, is this going to backfire? Yeah. 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 yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and she came begging, mommy, could you put controls on Netflix? <laughs> right. You know, cause I'm not sleeping and I'm not, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, actually, no, I'm not going to put controls on Netflix, but let's figure this out together how you can control it. Right, you know, right. um, like, I don't want to put that. That's not helpful. Like, I want to, I want to work with you here. So, but then she came to me and we were able to do it. That was a risk. You know, I wouldn't do that with a highly dysregulated kid, right? Um, because they they wouldn't have that. I don't think the limit would ever come. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so in those situations, know your child before you hand over a device that this could, it probably does need some limitations um, from the beginning, mm-hmm, so that they mm-hmm. just know it's like that, and uh, and and be aware of that because the addictive. Once you're addicted, I mean, the brain is 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 doing all the work. It's no longer the personality, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. so we have to be conscious of that with empathy and compassion. That that's what's going on here. That's for food. That's for for obviously devices. That's for anything. Yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah. That takes. <laughs> I don't think I have the. Well, maybe I do. I don't know if my wife has the patience to sit through that discomfort because that's a hard thing to do, like what you just described. I For think. sure, yeah. yeah. And I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not been practicing my self-care stuff, yeah, right? right? So, And that's why self-care is the first part of my book. And I say very specifically, don't go to the next lessons mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. until you've done this, you know, consistently for like three weeks and then start practicing and feeling the difference in your yeah, tank because yeah, yeah. you can't pull it off. 
again, we're human. No, yeah, so we yeah. need fuel. Um, and without fuel, you can't. So people love skipping to the end of the book and like, oh, I'll try. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you can try. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But every once in a while, it'll work. But you're really going to end up feeling like you're failing because you don't have gas in your tank. So so really, like the self-care is critical. And I was practicing it by then. Um, right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm curious because it's happening in my own life. Um, so my daughter is a picky eater, like her dad. <laughs> uh, and and so so this we gave my son Cheetos last night after dinner, right? Yeah. And we didn't give any to her, and she's okay. four. Yeah, you know, little, poor little thing. <laughs> In, you know, dealing with the emotions. But so she just got was incensed that it was so unfair mm -hmm. that her brother got the Cheetos and she didn't. Right. Um, we allowed her to have her meltdown and be upset and et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but she's like, it's not fair, you know. Mm -hmm. And my, my impulsive reaction to that is, and I don't do it rudely, but I always say, you know, well, life isn't fair. Mm. And I'm sorry about that, but he ate his, you know, he ate his lunch at school, and you never do, and mm. we're not. So that gonna, was the condition. Okay. Yeah, it was because mm. she mm. never eats her lunch. Right. Okay. My wife is perhaps overly determined to like make a lunch that her daughter right. will eat. You yeah, know? sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is it's kind, you know, or, or it's it's the intention is genuine. Um, so anyhow, so my so. I, in relationship to the iPad mm -hmm. and giving it to one child and not the other mm -hmm. because you know one is likely more capable of handling it, right. whether it's an iPad or whatever it is. Sure, absolutely. How do we juggle the imbalance mm -hmm. of fairness, which is going to inevitably come, right? Like mm -hmm. I can see in the iPad scenario, mm -hmm. my daughter, I think she'd be able to turn – even at four, she's pretty good at mm. – at, you know, time to turn it off okay. if she gets to watch a show or whatever it is. Yeah. But my son, on the other hand, he mm. just... He'll be with it. Yeah, and uh -huh. you said something about, like, ripping it out of... Like, sometimes I've had to, like, rip it out of his hand. Sure. Out of, like, impulsive mm -hmm. impatience. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So... And fear. Don't forget. It's fear-based, right? Our, yeah, our, like... Our, my, yeah, 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 right. Because if I don't... So scared. They're yeah, it's become, like... Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And my catastrophizing, I'm a catastrophizer for sure, so I start to think all kinds of sure, bad of things. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, how do we... How do we navigate those mm. hard decisions with being... I, is it unfair? I guess it is in some ways. Or is well, it just so reasonable like a rule, to like... Let's say you say, okay, you know what? Everybody's got to eat their lunch. Yeah. With If I had a lot of patience and time, I would sit with her and go, how come you don't eat your lunch? Like, that's... I, I'm happy to give you the Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. All I need yeah. is for you to eat your lunch. So <laughs> right. it's what's going on with yeah, the lunch. Yeah, I know. Right? She says she doesn't you like know? it, but she's had like 20 different lunches, you right. know? So it's... Absolutely. There's got to be something else happening, but... Right, yeah. yeah. So maybe she's just not hungry middle of the day. Right, I mean, right, right. you know, not everybody has to eat the perfect three meals at yeah. that time. Right. So, so that's the more underlying. Yeah. We want to have some time. I would want to sit with her, you know, and discuss why she doesn't actually eat the lunch. 
But yeah. in this particular case, just to keep it simple, yes, you're supposed to eat your lunch. When you eat lunch, you come home, you get to have Cheetos, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, those are the, that's the way this house works, right? right? You know, um, and yeah, your brother ate lunch. Look, I show you brother ate lunch. And so he gets his Cheetos, right? right? You know, uh, <laughs> it sounds so silly <laughs> so, when somebody else describes it, but, but it's, it's perfect. Yeah, no, yeah, it's totally, typical, totally. right? Yeah. You know, it's standard. It's great. <laughs> and, uh, and then she's like, Oh my God, I didn't get my Cheetos. And now, of course, she's like, but I didn't want to eat my lunch, so this seems unfair. Yeah, like, right. you know, I wasn't hungry. Why am I being punished yeah. when when I wasn't hungry? You know, <laughs> like yeah, it. totally. So, yeah. so I get that. So you, so that's why I would sit with her in that moment to be able to go. I totally get why you want the Cheetos, and I totally get that you think it feels unfair right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, is it unfair? It isn't only because we made a deal that whoever eats their lunch gets Cheetos, right? You know, so I'll sit with you. We can cry about it. So it's really important when 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 you you know it's actually based on the rule that you made mm-hmm. that it's actually everybody agreed to the deal yeah. and that was another part did she agree to the deal right. you know um thinking she would eat her lunch you know yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah, yeah. then it it was that's the distress tolerance piece sitting with them in their distress saying i know it's awful yeah right and in my family the iPads came at the same time, even though the kids are different ages, mm-hmm. but the phones didn't, right? And so the younger one didn't get her phone at the same time as the older one. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. It doesn't seem fair. I right, know. You right, know, I'm like, yeah. the reality is she got it for this reason. At this age, she needs it for safety, and mm-hmm. you don't. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was, oh, my God, right? You know, like, and and I'm like, yeah, I get it. And I'm just not getting it for you, right? You know, for these reasons. And they're actually reasonable, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so she, she, you know, she sat in it for a little while, and we were upset. And But I wasn't mad, mad at her for yeah. feeling like this. Right. I was more like, I get it, and it's still not happening, you know. So she ultimately regulated because that's what we all do ultimately, right? And I'm going to segue a little bit to a similar sure. distress tolerance yeah. piece, but um, we were in a living situation where I couldn't get my children dogs. Obviously, you know, now that I have dogs, but um, at the time, yeah. it wasn't an option. And hmm. um, my older one, she loves dogs, absolutely, but it wasn't like a life threat <laughs> to not have a dog. Yes. Right? But for my younger one, it was like I was pulling her soul out and jumping on it. Like it was awful. And it was a daily, I need a dog. I need a dog. Any animal, right? <laughs> it was, we were down to like anything. The fish didn't cut it. So, cause she has to touch it, you know, uh-huh. but, but it was torturous. And then one day, instead of I told you we can't get a dog. I even told you why. It was like this yeah, urgent, yeah, you know. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, this is not working, right? Like, I can't do this every single day. I'm exhausted. And the poor kid is, like, beside herself every day. I'm like, this is never going to work. And I'm like, just accept that you're yeah, yeah, not going to totally. get a goddamn <laughs> dog. Like, you know, and, and, but she wouldn't yeah. because it was truly killing her. So, anyway, I remember lying down with her. And I'm like, hon, I know you want a dog. Like, I really do. And if I could get you a dog right now, I absolutely would. And because of this ex situation, we cannot. Like, it is just not possible. And I softened and I was really compassionate. I think I had a tear in my eye even, you know, because I do feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. But it was not possible. And she started crying. And we must have lay in bed, Mike, for three or four hours. Wow. Right? And she cried and cried. I'm like, oh, boy. Right? (laughs) But... I was ready for it because I knew I was going to be doing something like I didn't know yeah. it was going to last that long, yeah. but 
at least we were lying down. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. and she cried and cried and cried. And I got to tell you, after that, there was no words about. A dog. I mean, there was yeah, it'd be nice to have a dog, but it wasn't the torturous, tantrumy, horrible. You know, you're killing me for not giving me a yeah, dog. Yeah, you know, life. Yeah. And and she she settled. So I sat with her and I soothed her distress. I sat with her in it. I allowed it, and then it left. Right, and that's the point. This was mm-hmm. a longer example, but it was a very very meaningful thing to her. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about you don't get your ice cream or you don't get a lollipop or your Cheetos or whatever. It's not going to last four hours. Um, but you can do the same. It's the same method. Yeah. Right. And when you real, when they realize they're supported through this thing that they couldn't get, then they ultimately resolve. Right. And then she could make a decision the next day or she could say, it's not really fair because I don't want to eat my lunch. Right. And yeah. then you guys can have a discussion about it. Right. right. Because, yeah. yeah, overall probably it wasn't fair, but for that day it was. And so we're trying to. Right. Yeah. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great example of the situational consequence versus mm-hmm. the maybe this isn't the best long term solution. Right. But like for right now, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and you also use the. I think I learned it in the mindful self compassion class, the soft and soothe allow. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is a nice Mm -hmm. process. But going back to the analogy of the book, if you're, oh, there was also, I'm not going to find it, but a point where you said, um, if you're going, if you're driving to pick up or whatever, it's like park, sit in your car for 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, just to, Oh, give yourself a break or, exactly. and so that when the kids come in and you talk about the contrast between the introverted parent and, right. and, and the extroverted, extroverted kid, kid or, or yeah, vice exactly. versa. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, becoming more aware of that so that you can kind of not mitigate the, I don't know, the hard moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, without that tank, I guess, or without the mm-hmm. self self care, yeah, it's so hard to handle those those moments. Totally. Um, and sometimes the self care is going out with a friend, right? It's not always just alone time. Like right. I think the world is preaching alone time a lot, which is great, and I think it's important. But some of us really do thrive better when we're connected, at least with one other person, as long as they're not demanding of you. Right. right? So I'm not going to go out with a friend who like wants something all the time. I'm going to go out with a friend who just we just chill out and hang out, but right. there's a nice connection. Right. So sometimes it's that. Sometimes it is, yeah, chilling in the car completely alone. So you got to know where you're at that day, your own personality. You know, generally speaking, if you're further on the introverted side, you're going to want the quiet time. But if you have some extroversion in you, then you're probably going to want some connection. Mm-hmm. I'm bang in the middle. And so there's some days when I'm like, no, I really just need to see somebody, you know. And another day where I'm like, no, I completely need to be alone. So right. I just ask myself, where am I at? And what do I need today so that I'm well enough for the kids, right? Yeah. 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 I think I, I wanted to ask you, and whether there's sort of neuroscience, if that's the right word behind it, alone time could mean watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find personally, a lot lately, because I'm a bit unsettled, I'll go... 
if I take a break from doing homework or something, mm-hmm. I'll go lie down and then I'll just pull out my phone and like look at the sports or whatever, you know. Right. But that mm-hmm. that's not really doing it because it right. It's I'm I'm still stimulated. Like I'm not actually exactly. going inward and ah, trying to. That's right. Soothe or something. So yeah. So I, stillness is what you're looking for. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Versus yeah, the yeah. alone, just being alone and not not doing anything. Right. You know. Right. Um. So you can sit and spin with your sports stuff for a little bit, but that's just a zone. Like so, there's zone out time. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And TV and and I usually zone out time. Uh-huh. They're safe. It's kind of like okay, I'm just like in that little zone, mm-hmm, right? You mm-hmm. know. But you're still in a zone. Mm-hmm. Right. I know we're calling it zone out, but you're sure. still in a zone. Uh, and if you're in a zone, you're not resting. Right. Right. So rest is sleep, obviously. Um, rest is also just sitting in stillness, which is where meditation is being, yeah. you know, really talked about. Right. And that kind of stillness is is very different. Yeah. It's even different from guided meditation as far as I'm concerned. Even yeah. guided ones are asking something of you. Right. When I meditate, I'm still. Like I, I listen to sounds and or mm-hmm. music that I really enjoy that's meaningless in that, in that sense. Right, but yeah. um, and I just sort of sit in that. Typically, I picture something, but that's just what I like to sure. do. So yeah. Do you think that there is a lack of stillness going on because of our little devices, or do you think it's always been absent? I, I do seem to think. There is a void of stillness going on, mm-hmm. but maybe I'm biased. I don't know. So Do you know? because yeah. we live in big cities and, you know, and most of us, not all of us, obviously, but yeah. the bigger the city, the less opportunity for stillness, right? Just, just like a buzz, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, even yeah. if you're sitting alone, there's still a buzz, right? Which is why there are, uh, you know, great personal growth people who will say, like Robin Sharma, I think he says, get up at, he's a 5 a.m. club. Because the buzz is quieter at 5 a.m., in your city, you actually are, are going to get better um, work done at that time or mm-hmm. better whatever you're doing at that time will be more effective because you're not being depleted by the buzz, literally. Yeah, right? literally, yeah. So, you know, so that's something that's really important to acknowledge that when we're in these big cities, we're not going to really get true stillness, um, but we want to make it as much as we can. So, sure, headphones with a bit of, you know, sound of water or something to create a sense of stillness mm-hmm. as if we're out there in the middle of nowhere is helpful, right? Because if you've ever been to a lake or a stream or, a, you know, where it is a bit quieter and in nature, the brain will remember that when you hear the sounds and if you close your eyes, you can probably visualize it and then you can make a pseudo stillness, you know, for yourself. So. Yeah. But I think that you need to be deliberate here, right? Like, I wish we all lived in monasteries for that time. <laughs> yeah. You know, they have stillness. They create it. They, they, they are in those places for a reason, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So they can clear their mind and just be. Yeah. It's fantastic, right. right? For me to sit here and say I'm going to clear my mind and just be is impossible, <laughs> right? Um, but I can throw in... I mean, I'm up to 30 minutes from 45 minutes now, but I used mm-hmm. to start at five minutes, you know, um, of just being, so to speak, yeah. as early in the morning as I could. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been going for a little while here. There's a couple of things I want to ask uh, from the book here. All right. Let's go with this one. Um, so, quote, When you become more self-aware and catch yourself falling into old languages, 
make jokes about it and learn to laugh at yourself, which is a lovely thing mm. to learn to do. Uh, I should have said so. Another quote. Uh, if your child rolls her eyes at you, don't take it personally. Own it. Ask yourself what you just did that could have led to the roll of the eye or any other response and take a minute to reflect. And I really love that a lot because, man, I think even worse in schools, well, it's bad everywhere. When when kids don't fall in line with whatever it is we think mm -hmm. they should be doing or if they give us a little attitude, mm -hmm. it becomes this big... I don't know what it is. Uh, You're disrespecting yeah, me. Right? It's yeah. It's almost like an attack. Adults perceive it as a this mm -hmm. huge disrespect or attack on their character. And how could the kid be so mm – -hmm. oh, my gosh. Um, but I love this, you know, ask yourself what you did mm -hmm. to warrant the roll of the eyes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And that's a bold statement. People are like, are you serious? You know, they're being that disrespectful and I'm supposed to ask myself what I did. I'm like, yeah, yeah actually, I am serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the reason uh -huh. is that you got to give kids the benefit of the doubt. They're not born with attitude, right? You mm -hmm. know, it's it's a reaction to something. They're not just sitting there suddenly going, huh, I'm going to roll my eyes, right? You know, uh, there it's a response to something. And if you feel like what you did was absolutely fine, then you can talk to them about it. Say, what happened? Because you rolled your eyes at me. It was something I was asking somehow wrong or inappropriate. Like, what, what was the deal there? You know, you could be that straight about yeah. it and find out. And then hopefully they'll tell you. If they right. say, yeah, whatever, nothing. Just say, no, honestly, I'm really going to listen. <laughs> like, I want to know. <laughs> What happened, right? And most kids, if this has been going on forever, where you don't hear them, yeah. they're going to say nothing. Don't worry about it. Right. I'm done. Just nothing. And then they'll run away. Yeah. So you got to be able to come. This is teenagers I'm talking about now, right? You got to come to them and say, look, I get that I've typically not stopped to ask you, but I'm trying to change this. Yeah. So uh, can you work with me here? Like, I saw you roll your eyes. I'm not mad. I just, I don't understand why. Like, I can honestly I, yeah. don't get it. Right? Can I add? So I think a lot of times um, if a parent is trying to change and they do that yeah, and they don't get the response they're looking for, then they either That's get it. even more worked <laughs> up or they're, yeah. they say, I'm not going to do it again. But it does take a lot. If you've been one way your whole life, yeah, it's on you to consistently do the work so that they – Maybe See, they really something change. like that, mm -hmm. yeah. And I do tell people, like my parents with their teenagers, just let them know that you're trying to change. So they may not believe you. Yeah. And that's okay as long as you put it out there because otherwise they're never going to give you the time of day. Right. Um, and then when you're consistent, at least they'll kind of go, huh, they did say they were trying. That wasn't so bad because bottom line, they do want a good relationship yeah. with you. Yeah. They're dying for it. Yeah. Right. I mean, even we as adults are dying for yeah. good relationships. Yeah. It's it's really it, it's there's never a wrong time for a parent to kind of own their peace and be able to go, huh. Right. You know, yeah, maybe there is something here. So I think that's really important. And when you own it and let's say they tell you, well, yeah, you said this with this attitude or with this tone or you sounded like when you said it to me, you made me feel like I was stupid. Right. You know. And then you could go, I did. I know I've done that before. I'm like, I did, yeah, right? I'm right. like, how did I? And I was like, like dumbfounded. I'm like, I seriously 
didn't hear it. Can you help me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, you said it like this. So I'm like, oh man, right? You know, I'm like, okay, you know what? You're right. That is how it sounded. And that was not at all what I meant, mm-hmm. right? You know, I just needed to get this thing done, right? Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm, sure, I was mm-hmm. a bit, I was being impatient because I needed it done. And so it came across as right. dismissive or intolerant or like you're stupid or, you know. So, you know, uh, or other times I'd be like, yeah, you know, I kind of was thinking it, you're right. It did come across that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, <laughs> and, and it's because you're frustrating me because of this. And, and then we both start laughing and mm. then it's done, right? So, no, that's so. such a beautiful, I guess, uh, for those things to be allowed or mm-hmm. to be willing to have that happen or acknowledge that is so nice. And so... I don't know, relationship promoting or yeah. bonding. Like it really creates that bond. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So nice. Yeah, we're all human. We're going to feel mm-hmm. these things. Right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, so. Totally. Um, okay. There's, so there are two more things I wanted to – we have been chatting for a while, but – and I don't know how to necessarily – Before you jump there, just one thought I was having yeah, on this. please. So if – you know how I said, you know what, I really was thinking you were stupid right now. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. If you are, you, you should own it. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're basically, no, that's not what I was thinking. You're actually doing what they call gaslighting your child, you know, into into saying, no, you're not right. But their intuition knows they're right. And they know you were thinking that. Mm-hmm. And you cannot pretend mm. because it really throws the child off, right? Because you're basically telling them, don't trust your gut. You don't know anything. I'm telling you it's not true. But if you know it was true, even a little bit, own it so they can go, I knew I was right. Right. Right? And that gives them self-esteem, right? Because they could trust their gut. And that's good for outside in the world when they're going to meet somebody and go, I don't, I don't trust this person, right? They, they seem a little off. And then they're going to trust in themselves rather than, you know, la-di-da and go on and then get slammed one day, right? So it really is important mm-hmm. to, to make sure that, you know, when you're having these honest conversations that you're really honest so that the child's intuition is, is matched, um, you know, and and understood and validated. Yeah. Right? No, yeah. that's lovely. Yeah. I was having a conversation here not about a month ago um, around – Part of the conversation was around honesty mm-hmm. with, um, I think I may be tilted towards this more than most people because of my own recovery. You know, the biggest thing in addiction recovery is honesty. Yeah. That's like the number one most important thing. Mm-hmm. So I've been brainwashed as i I've been constructed on that mm-hmm. foundation yeah. And so I am very honest with my kids, maybe sometimes too much so, but I see so often people almost take pride in or have moral justifications for lying about things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm just going to say this so that they don't get upset. And so there's no problems, mm-hmm. and then we can just move on. Yeah, it's not worth it, peace, right? It's not worth yeah. saying the honest part. Yeah, yeah. And I, so, in some sense, sure, you don't want to say things to people necessarily if it's unhelpful, mm-hmm. for sure. But to manipulate, you know, manipulate your kid into, you know, a simple thing might be: Is there any more candy in the bag? 
mm-hmm. you know, do we have more candy upstairs or whatever? Right. And a lot of parents will just say no right. to avoid the thing. Of course. But I don't know if I'm stubborn about it, but I will always say yes, and you're not mm-hmm. having any more. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Or just mm-hmm. I'll never, ever. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, because they, I mean, they yeah, will know that there's candy upstairs. Right. right? I mean, or, then they're going to like, yeah. Yeah, so how yeah. does that, I don't know. Is there, in your experience of all this, where does that fall for you, I guess? So I don't know how to, if you could look at yeah. it like this, we may be smarter in terms of education, well, obviously, because we're, yeah. we're more advanced than they are because we're older. We've done it already. Um, they are smarter than us with our intuition because they haven't lost it yet. Right. Um, yet. Yeah. <laughs> Depending yeah, yeah, on how yeah. their parent did and on their experiences yeah. in life. But um, so they, honesty is about their intuition. And so if we're going to be dishonest with an intuitive person, right, they're going to know and it's going to lead to either them saying, forget you, you know, or into challenging you or, you know, other worse consequences. So it's really important to, to make sure, I mean, those are two good outcomes, the challenging. And the, there's also the outcome of where they're like, oh, my God, I know nothing. I really thought I was right. Right. But I don't, I guess I don't because my parents are telling me I'm wrong. Right. And and so you're really doing them a disservice by by not being honest in those situations because you are always dealing with intuition. Right. Kids are really, really intuitively smart. They're fantastic. They just know. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They sense it. Right. You know. Yeah, they do. And and that's how I mean babies sense things. That's how they communicate. They sense something, then they cry. They sense like it that's they sense their stomach grumbling and then they cry to you. Like that's so that hasn't shouldn't be lost, right? It's actually a really helpful skill. Um but as we get older and we're told, No, that's not true, no, that's not true, no, that's not right, no, that's not true, then the child's like, Oh, I guess I'm wrong. I didn't realize that I was, I think I, I don't know if I used it in the book or not. I can't remember anymore. But, uh, you know, when you tell your kid to put their coat on in the winter, mm-hmm. right? And if, to, but I'm hot, right? So, yeah, but it's cold outside. I know, but I'm hot, right? <laughs> yeah, but you have to wear your coat. It's cold outside. But I'm hot. Right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's so, a good example. You know, yeah. and, and you're like, it doesn't matter if you're hot. You know, uh, and and it's just you have to wear your coat outside, and it basically is saying you're not hot, right? Like it does, like right. it's it's irrelevant that you feel hot. Like you're, you're you're diminishing what they know is to be true, right? And and you're sending them off wrapped up in this coat, and then they're still hot. <laughs> they're going, I guess I'm not hot, like because uh, this is what I'm supposed to do to be the good little person, you yeah. know. Um, and that's not helpful, right? So yeah. yeah. So what what I do, you know, because it is cold outside, mm-hmm. I would say, here's your coat, throw it on for me. You don't have to zip it up, you know, um, but have it with you, right? You know, the gloves, the hat, throw them in the bag. They're there. Just promise me you're going to put them on if you're cold. I'm not talking about a two-year-old, the one who's capable of these things, yeah. right? You know, um, and even with the two-year-old, if they're struggling, ask them if they're hot and loosen it for them a little, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, the the whole I, – I, when you were saying that, I was just thinking of the potential uh, unfair expectation of my daughter eating her lunch. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe mm-hmm. she's just not hungry. That's right. And we're telling her that that's wrong or something. 
That's so right. yeah, further exploring it is probably very helpful. Um, I, I, I wonder, there's other situations too, I think, where kids get older and maybe they, I think it also speaks to the, the you talk about distress tolerance and how mm-hmm. because we lack it, um, here, I'll read this quickly here, quote, well, while taking on the role of caregiver, Sorry, let me start the again. While taking on the role of caregiver may make you feel like a good person every time you accommodate, please know that you are actually doing the other person a disservice by enabling them to stay weak and somewhat helpless because you are usually taking care of things. And I, that speaks to the thing in my head I was thinking of is, you know, if your kid or teen doesn't make the sports team at school Mm -hmm. or if they don't get accepted into some club or whatever Mm -hmm. it is like you know something that's not nice happens or that's uh for sure a lot of people will say oh well that coach just Mm. didn't see your value or Mm -hmm. or yeah that stupid teacher is not marking your paper fairly or whatever right and and there may or may not be some truth to that sure but Mm -hmm. But a, a lot of times the parent's inability to allow their kid mm-hmm. to be sad or disappointed influences their – maybe you're just not good enough to yeah. play on the team. Absolutely. And if mm-hmm. if you're not, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Do you want to work at getting better, that's right? Or, or But mm-hmm. what do you – I guess, yeah, maybe the – because the distress tolerance section of the yes. book is the one I didn't get through very much. But, yeah, so how might you help a parent who would you say – I guess it's a mixture of enabling and filling them with hot – like, I don't know, not mm-hmm. allowing them to well, accept. teaching them to be blamers, first of all. Okay, yeah. Right? Which, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which isn't helpful yeah. uh, in the long run. And uh, and like you said, there might be some truth to that. So you could say, you know, it's possible that coach wasn't so, you know, great or whatever. But focusing in on, but you know what, hon, that really sucks, right? right. <laughs> you right. know, that's really tough. And I know you really wanted to get on that this year, you know. Uh, and uh, it's it's, you know, either like you just said, either we could try again by working more at it or we could say this isn't for us it's up to you you know but but just just sitting with them to say this sucks and it's really tough right you know versus the lesson well we can't always get what we want or right, you know which right, right. which may be the ultimate lesson but yeah. in that moment that's not helpful right right for the kid who's sad that they didn't get it or mad or whatever they're experiencing is really to go i get it like you know it really is hard you know, it's disappointing when we when we don't get, you know, something that we were hoping for, right? So just having that empathy, sitting with them in that, you know, um, not getting outraged and, you know, uh, is, is really important to help them learn to tolerate the distress, right? right? right. That I can sit in this and it's okay, right? You know, but we as parents have a really hard time seeing our children or anyone in yeah, distress. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't try and help people. Of course we should, but I'm saying that sometimes it's not a helpable situation mm-hmm. and we just need to sit in it, right? Um, because that's how we help. Right? Like I like we, that, yeah. It's right? not a helpable situation, yeah. That's, that's weird because we're so 
we're, I guess we're creatures of cause and effect or of mm -hmm. problem solution kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We, the idea that we can't fix something. Oh yeah. That, yeah. It's, it's exactly torturous. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, do you think that another part of that sometimes is the parents, I don't know in psychological terms, projecting or because my child didn't get this mark, that means I'm not a good parent or oh something or I'm not this it's or that huge. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm dealing with that all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's a reflection. It's like I failed mm -hmm. as a parent if my kid hasn't ex excelled, right? You know, um, versus, hey, let them fail. Right, you right. know, uh, like let them see what it's like, not because it's a punishment, but just to go, okay, <laughs> right. you know, like, wow, yeah, I didn't study and that didn't work. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, um, and uh, yeah, I think that that our our children are not meant to be representations of us. I realize <laughs> that the majority of the world sees them like that, mm -hmm. you know, um, because we we created them, so to speak, or brought them into our lives one way or another. And, but they, they, they're just their own little human beings. I mean, I, so this is a slightly different view for most people, but I see parenting as a privilege. Like I was, you know, given this opportunity to raise these two little people and be their resource, right? You know, and how do I do that? And I get excited to be able to do that for them. They don't represent me at all. So if they do amazing, that's fantastic. If they do terrible, that's horrible, you know, but not for me. Right, <laughs> just, right, right. <laughs> you know, of course I'm proud and I'm thrilled and I get excited for them, um, for me too. Yeah. But it's if they don't do well, I absolutely don't personalize it, which I know then it's not about my ego, right? right? It's right. about, hey, you know what? Yeah, these two little people – they go do amazing things in the world. So how do I help them do that, right? They're so cool. They're they're, they're so fascinating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think every single kid is that. There is not one kid who's not that I don't find fascinating, right? You know, even if they're difficult, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they just need some skills, right? And yeah. and I, and to speak to that, I think it's important. Um, my older daughter and my nephew, so my cousin's son, I took care of my cousin's son for a bit. And... um. So they're exact same age and they come in and my older daughter has a tendency to be more intellectual and cognitive and, but not interpersonal, right? And, and empathy was very, very low, like naturally showing empathy. She actually had a lot of sensitivity, but mm -hmm. she didn't know how to express it. And my nephew, uh, he is as empathic as it gets, but intellectually he was more challenged, right? It was just harder for him to do school. And so I had these polar opposite two people going through school together. I had them at the same school. So they were, you know, really comparing each mm -hmm. other. And uh, because of society, my nephew felt worse, right? Because society prizes good grades and all of that. And and, and I, you know, I sat with him. I'm like, Hunt, you are so like crazy sweet and, and kind and loving and expressive. And, you know, these are your skills, right? And yeah, School, we got to work at it, you know, but yeah, we yeah. just have to work at it. That's all it is. Like, it's not, it doesn't make you good or bad. It's just, it's just what it is. That's the skill. And my daughter, yeah, like, she's great. School's good. It's good. But interpersonally, you know, she doesn't have what you have. So why don't we learn from each other? Right. And so I had them rather than competing, they're mm -hmm. actually teaching each other how to be. And then they both took their own sort of roots to then building their skills. Because it could have been a huge competition, 
Or it could have been, hey, well, yeah, I see what Talena does. Interesting. And then, hey, I see what Jason does. That's interesting. And then from there, they separated and did their own thing to build where they were weaker, right? Because yeah, wow. as far as I'm concerned, we're all born with strengths. We're all born with weaknesses. You know, yeah. you got to notice the strengths, prize them. Hey, this is so cool how you're naturally like this, you know, and then look at the weaknesses and go, okay, where where do we need to work on? Because yep. and that's it. Then there's no issue of self-esteem. There's no yeah, issue of, you know, yeah, yeah. you're just being straight up. No one's born completely perfect that way, right? We've all got our, our strengths and our weaknesses, but we can always increase our, our weaknesses by just working on them. Like, yeah. I don't know if it went off on the No, that's great. But. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, I guess the last thing, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on to sort of further this mm-hmm. idea with the the psychological struggles or the mental health struggles of sort of people under 25 or something like that Mm -hmm. that seem to be front and center Mm -hmm. in a lot of maybe societal discussions. Um, How much of that, I mean, it's so complicated, obviously, but there's Mm -hmm. parts where maybe a generation of parents inability to let their kids fail mm-hmm. and suffer these consequences mm-hmm. has led to them as adults now not being at all capable of handling failure yep. or, or rejection or difficult, stressful or tolerance, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> distress tolerance. Um, I heard a, a term recently, it's gone from helicopter parenting to bulldozer parenting oh, or, or snow plowing where okay. you actually clear any potential barriers mm. out of your kid's way so they never have to deal with anything hard. Right. Um, and I know a couple people, professors, uh, who get contacted by parents. I, I know you hear this. But, I mean, it's it's hard to fathom how a university professor would receive emails from parents mm-hmm. who are complaining about their kids' grades or something right. like that. Yes, yes. And just yeah. how this whole... You know, the stuff you talk about in the book mm-hmm. and our, our maybe resistance to self-reflection mm-hmm. and to learning to cope with distress and how it all kind of may or may not be contributing to what's happening in the world mm-hmm. today with young people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the young people today are, are – there's a lot going on in the world especially with technology and I don't really understand how Wi-Fi affects us, but apparently it does. And all of the, like there's just so much coming at us. And so the young people of today are nothing like we were, right? Like I know that the people like, oh, they don't go outside, they don't play, Mm -hmm. but apparently it's not safer. Whether it is or not, I have no idea, but apparently it's not. So we hold them inside. So then what are they supposed to do? You know, um, so, so they're given all these opportunities to, be in the world through the internet, you know, right. and, um, but because of that, they're getting stimulated over and over and over again, right? And so it is really hard for a brain to actually navigate that with stimulation. And so it's going to lead to either anxiety, depression. I mean, forget about any bullying that goes on on the internet. I'm not even right. going there, right. you know, yeah, that, yeah. that's a separate piece, but just sure. the stimulation can lead to a shutdown of the brain which to me is depression, 
which is adaptive in that time because it's hibernating, mm -hmm. you know, from all of this. It just can't take it anymore. So I'm just going to shut down. Um, and also our anxiety is the other way where it's just like it just overstimulates and, and, and gets completely frazzled, you know, it's the system. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it is even that, right? Just our environmental influences. And, and that's where we're seeing so much more today, right, right. you know, in terms of youth mental health, right? You know, yeah. and then to come home and not have parents who get that, right? So I don't want to go to school today. Priyana absorbs energy, my younger one, like crazy. Like she just takes people's energies on, environmental, whatever it is. And she needs mental health days. Like she, I'm like, yeah, today you're staying home, right? You know, and she's like, yeah, I think I do need that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and we're good with it. And I call yeah. like she's just staying home today because she needs to. Like it's not because she's sick. She's not, you know, yeah. like yeah. she just, she's so done and she could feel herself starting to, you know, yeah. uh, she will have moments where she just suddenly needs to cry. She's like, I don't know why I'm crying uh, other than I must have just picked up so much stimulation. I just yeah. need to release it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, let's cry. You know, so this is the same one with the puppy, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's nice. Um, so it's, it's important to know that and work with the idea that they're under a lot of stress out there, like way more pressure than we had because yeah. We did run. I was biking all the time. Like when I got home, I wasn't doing homework. I don't know where all this homework came from. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, and I wasn't in ten thousand activities, right? You know, uh, so it's just like this nonstop go 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 for these kids. I pulled my kids from activities because I, I I'm like it's not working for me, and it's not working for them. Right? I yeah. like something physical, something musical. Those are my conditions, and we found <laughs> them, and that was that. You know, yeah. but. It's it's really um, important to acknowledge that they're dealing with a lot. And so to just expect them to be able to come home and continue to do homework or get stuff done if they've been overstimulated, it's not realistic. But then there's pressure at home. So now guess what? The stimulation continues. So where are they getting their break? Right? And this is the thing that was actually part of what really made me make this book. And it was... My older daughter in grade seven, and I was I was in and out of my old school parenting. I I, I started changing earlier, but really mm -hmm. I was still doing yeah. some of the old stuff and noticing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take time off from work. I'm gonna go pick her up, you know. And and also I go to school, I pick her up. She gets in the car. I'm like, hey, Talina, you know. And she's like, nothing. I got nothing. All right? Just a quiet, grumpy little face. So I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> Do yeah. you know that I like rearrange clients and, and like change my days so I can surprise you and come pick you up? So the whole, you know, to see how I sacrifice my yeah. life, you know? <laughs> right? so, yeah. Um, and, and she just looked at me and I'll, ne I'll never forget. She looked at me and she's like, are you serious? With these like really like squinty eyes. And I'm like, um, yes. <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? And then she's like, I just went, she's like, you know that I don't like talking very much. And I just went to school all day long in a new school in junior high. And I've been participating and trying to like meet people and do all this stuff. And I, I, I've given it all away. Right. You know, it's like, and if I can't get in the car and be quiet with you, who am I supposed to do that with? And I was dumbfounded. Like I was like, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Like, I and you know in my head I'm like I'm supposed to be her safe place. I'm supposed to be the place where she could just be whoever she needs to be, 
you know, and that doesn't mean she doesn't have homework and stuff later, yeah, but yeah. she just has to have a space, you know, and, and it's, and it's critical. And, and that stayed with her too, because she had written me a Mother's Day card this year and one of the lines, and it was basically that she's like, I'm so grateful for my parents because I can't even imagine, um, with all of the stuff we have to go through in life and all the stress and all the pain and all the hurt and all of the chaos that we have to go through in life, I can't imagine coming home and not having them as my place to basically chill out, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they didn't do that for me, how would I function, right? And yeah. and she's right because there's a lot of stress. I mean, architectural engineering we're dealing with stuff. She's stressed. Yeah. Like, you know, computers are crashing. And you know, <laughs> like, so it's, but oh. she needs to know that she has that space where we just get it. All right. You know, and she can just be, so it's really, really critical. And, and I'm not saying, like I say, it's not like my whole house is like, well, you don't have to do anything. It's la-di-da, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Let's take that time. You get to be quiet. We'll chat later. You yeah. know, so in grade seven that day, I didn't say another word. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. And then every other time I picked her up, I stayed quiet. And then she's like, today I'd like to talk. Right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so uh, like, okay, cool, uh-huh. right? You know, so it, it does lead to them <laughs> talking. It doesn't lead to silence. People get scared that, oh, you know, then your kid's going to think you're neglecting. It's not that. Yeah. It's, I'm right there. Yeah. But I'm not intruding and being intrusive on what I think needs to happen. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. so nice to... <sighs> be open or uh, able to receive those moments of wisdom from our kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, she when she, you know, for a 12 or whatever, 13-year-old yeah. kid to be able to articulate that is is awesome. And it just was, being, yeah. being ready to, because again, if we're stressed or just, well, for there may be situations where we don't get to receive that. For sure. Very, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully we do most of the time, but. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Cool. Um, I guess we should probably, it's been about an hour and a half, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 So, Great. okay. Perfect. It's amazing how the time goes. I, I know. It's yeah. Ridiculous. It's awesome. It is awesome. Well, thank you for having me, my yeah. dear. That was really great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was yeah. lovely chat. And, um, Thank you to Radio Regent Park. Yes, thank you, Radio Regent Park. Yeah, for this opportunity to use this lovely station. Um, and that's about it. So it always takes me a a minute to turn off the music or get the music back on. But I will, when the show gets posted, all the information about Julia's website and the book and everything will be in the show notes. So you can find it there. And uh, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch and ask. Okay, everybody. Bye.